0: Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.
1: You're listening to the Nerd Cave Network.
0: Back to episode nine of the Nerd Cave Retro Podcast. My name is Jason Robbins. And I'm Derek Diamond. And uh, sorry we didn't have a show last week. Um, pretty much life got in the way. So um, we're back this week and we have a fresh new show with some news articles and this month in gaming history. So let's talk about what we've been doing the last couple of weeks. And I will let my co host, Derek, start us off.
1: Yeah, it's been a pretty busy couple of weeks. Um, baseball season is over so i'll have a lot more free time to play retro games and really have any type of a life yeah <laughs> which is pretty fantastic um we actually went to the mobile flea market a couple of weekends ago and you found some uh, some pretty good deals
0: yes i did um i found uh the the incredible hulk snes game which i didn't even know was a thing i didn't had no clue that was a game the incredible hulk and also found Batman Returns and also Star Trek the Next Generation for Super Nintendo. Got it all for 14 bucks, which I think is a pretty good pretty good thing.
1: I'm very curious about the Star Trek Next Generation game because I loved that show growing up. Like uh, it's my favorite Star Trek like incarnation. So, have have you ever played that game before? Never. Um I knew it was a thing, but it
0: never crossed my radar when i was younger it just it didn't seem like the kind of gameplay that would interest me but at this age i started to play it and of course i don't have the uh the 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 booklet to show me how to do anything so i kind of had to play around and figure out how to do things um it basically it, it's it's kind of a different type of game like you start off you're on the bridge you're you play as captain picard obviously um and you've got your different sections you can go to you got like your uh you know your navigation and where you tell them where to go and then you look to the left you know you spin around and you see the entire bridge and you've got like you know your specs for you know engineering and then you've got like um other different things like your ready room and all that kind of stuff um but you basically you get a distress signal and um this woman comes on the screen saying that they're on some planet and they're being attacked and they need help. So you have to look through the menu. She tells you where she's at, but you have to look through these menus and and tell Data where to go. And then the ship goes to this planet and then you have to pick your, your away team um, and you have to go down to the planet and you know go around. And it's kind of a weird three-quarter angle top down when you go down to the planet. And you've got your phasers, and it, it gets kind of wonky at that point. i got to play it a little bit more, because that's as far as I got. Um, but I'm going to definitely play it some more and give a, a more in-depth review in the next couple of weeks, probably. You
1: using all those terms makes me want to watch the show again. Oh, yeah. it It's,
0: it's as close to the show as you're going to get in old-school video game form. It, the graphics are really nice on it uh, they're they're a notch above most graphics that you're gonna see especially when you're in the uh, the bridge area I mean it looks exactly like the show. Um, but of course it, it's got that 16 bit like real the colors pop and it's like it's just cool when you look at it if you I mean you kind of get that feel you know that like I am in a 16 bit world right now. Um, But I love Star Trek The Next Generation. It's my favorite. Like you said, it's my favorite um, version of Star Trek that's ever been. I've seen every episode probably 20 times at least. It's my wife's mm-hmm. favorite iteration of Star Trek. And um, I'm going to play it and see you know what the game's about, and
1: I'll give a review of it. Yeah, I'm actually looking at photos from it right now. This does look like a really nice game.
0: Yeah, it it's pretty cool. I mean, I like games that give you that kind of freedom of okay, well, we can go to this planet or this planet and then you go and like you got to look up whether or not you can actually beam down to the planet and what kind of class planet it is, all all that kind of stuff is in there. It seems like it's a pretty large game to be, you
1: know, a, a retro game. Nice. Yeah, at that same flea market, I found a game that I played a little bit when I was younger, which is surprising because I was a huge fan of this franchise, but I found the original Mighty Morphin Power Rangers game. That's fantastic. For, for Super Nintendo. I think it was only like six bucks and it was in perfect condition, which was really cool. I've played it briefly. Um, it's kind of like the Ninja Turtles games that we've described the last two episodes. It's mm-hmm. pretty much a side scroller beat 'em up type of game. But growing up, you know, being a huge Power Rangers fan, it just gave me that wonderful feeling of nostalgia that (laughs) anybody who plays retro games, you know what I'm talking about when you have that just that feeling of being a kid again. Yeah. Playing games. And it was just so much fun. I'm so happy that I found it.
0: Oh, yeah. I'm ready to go back to that flea market. And see what else I can find. And like I said, I did pick up The Incredible Hulk. I got to play it a little bit. Not too much. Um, That one and the Star Trek are in perfect condition. Uh, The Batman Returns was a little bit beat up when I got it. I had to do a lot of cleanup on it to get it to look decent. Um, And part of the casing broke. But it still holds together. And you're able to play it. Um, I had to bust it open and clean it a lot. There were some... uh, (laughs) There were some roach droppings inside of it when I opened it up. Wow. It was was a little gross, so the whole thing has just been doused in alcohol. Um, But I cleaned it up really nice, and it it plays. um, It is pretty much Final Fight with a Batman skin on it. So I'm going to enjoy playing it because I love Final Fight.
1: Fantastic. Shall we get into our news? Absolutely. Let's do this.
0: I'm going to let you start us off in the the news this week. This seems like a pretty cool article
1: here you've got. From retrocollect.com, Nintendo 64 Multimedia Expansion Device Patents Discovered. Most gamers will be familiar with the Nintendo 64 DD, DD meaning disk drive, attachment for the Nintendo 64 that promised larger games and enhanced functionality. Sadly, the 64DD never saw the light of day outside of Japan, and even then, the add on received a handful of exclusive disc games. It appears that Nintendo of America could also have been secretly working on an expansion device for the N64, though, as documented by Assembler Games Forum member DS2, who recently discovered a collection of long forgotten patent documents. And basically, what this is, it's basically kind of like blueprints for what was called the Nintendo 64 disc drive. It's an attachment that goes into the bottom of the N64. And what it was supposed to do was add to specific games. And probably the most famous one would be uh, Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time, mm-hmm. where you basically go through the game, but everything is mirrored. So every dun- I think it's just every dungeon you go through is everything is flipped and they re-release this on the gamecube i remember is a bonus disc uh, with wind waker when it came out you you could pre-order a gamecube disc that had the original ocarina of time and also what they called the master quest which was that reversed dungeon game and it was actually much more difficult Hmm. because if you play through ocarina of time multiple times like i have Mm -hmm. when you reverse everything it just throws you way out of whack, and can cause frustration sometimes, but in a good way. <laughs> and this looks pretty cool, but I think this pretty much
0: came out at the time when people were done with buying peripherals for the consoles, because at this time, the PlayStation One had already come out and was mm-hmm. starting to dominate. So if you, if you're gonna buy a system, you know uh, that plays discs why would you buy something like an expansion to another machine that wouldn't be as well as a solid-state machine like the PlayStation was?
1: Yeah, whenever I look at this disk drive, it kind of makes me think this could have been the very early stages of downloadable content. Yeah. So I, I... But I'm not surprised. Oh, go ahead. Oh, but at that
0: time, all you had was dial up. Can you imagine how long it would take to download stuff to to this device? You'd be waiting for days. Oh, God. Man, I I can't. That's... You kids listening to this, (laughs) be thankful for the internet we have today. Even as slow as it is sometimes when you're trying to do something very important and all of a sudden the internet just stops working for no reason. It's still nothing compared to dial-up. Dial-up was awful.
1: Ah, the days of AOL. Oh,
0: God. Do you remember the, uh, please wait while we add new art? Did you ever experience
1: that? The thing I remember the most is just that sound. Oh, yeah. That that will forever be burned in my mind. (laughs) Uh, Or however
0: it goes. Funny enough, that was the beginnings of, uh, what's that music called nowadays? The Dubstep. Dubstep. Yeah, that was the beginnings of dubstep. Somebody listened to that and said,
1: I could put a beat to that. It's a shame we didn't think of that because then we'd be millionaires. Could have been rich. I know, but uh, <laughs> you had a pretty interesting news article too.
0: Yeah, this comes from Phys dot org p h y s dot org. <laughs> digital forensics rescues retro video games and software starting in the mid 1980s a young man named Steven Cabernetti filled his home with video games and software unopened boxes were piled to the ceilings everything from early word processing programs such as WordStar to vintage releases of Pong, Doom and SimCity although at at the time some might have thought he suffered a peculiar obsession today the Cabernetti collection is considered a priceless snapshot of our culture one captured just as a digital tsunami that would forever change our civilization was hitting our shores. Cabernetti Cabernetti did not live to see what would become of his efforts. He died of Hodgkin's lymphoma in 1995, but his collection has achieved a sort of digital immorality. The Stanford University Libraries, which acquired the collection in 2009, and the National Institute of Standards and Technologies have just completed a multi-year effort to rescue the collection's digital content from the Atari game cartridges, 5 and 14th inch floppy disks, magnetic tape, and other deteriorating storage media that held it. Now, this dude had some over 25,000 software and video game titles that is wow. ridiculous and it's that's a all lot. being archived
1: that's awesome i know Can and it's a shame that he died so young cuz yeah. he he died at the age of 29 i'm looking at the article right now yeah um but the fact that all of that is being archived is fantastic yeah there's one guy uh one of the people that are
0: preserving it says um for me, it was like opening King Tut's tomb.
1: <laughs> oh, it imagine? pretty much is.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's 25,000 uh, pieces of video game history. Can you imagine? That's a lot to sort through.
1: 25,000. That That's mind-blowing. I didn't even know they
0: made that much content
1: <laughs> back Oh, then. I didn't either. That's crazy but i this is going to be interesting to to follow like i want to know like when all of this stuff is successfully you know digitized and put into archive
0: yeah i'm going to that's
1: just this is such a fascinating story oh yeah i'm going to keep uh
0: my eye on this and uh kind of keep people updated with this uh uh by absolutely yeah and it says he died too young but his collection now saved for, for posterity his dream lives on that's amazing
1: and he died young, but in a way, his his memory is, and that's kind of what you strive for is, you know, we don't live forever, but your memory can live forever. Exactly. And his, his is well on the way to doing that.
0: Well, after uh, that collection, let's move on to uh, some of the uh, This Month in Video Game History. <laughs> In 1985, on September 13th, Nintendo releases Super Mario Brothers, which eventually sells 40 million copies, making it the best-selling video game of all time until 2008.
1: It's the original. It's the one it's that it's one it all. that yep, one of the most iconic video games of all time. I I completely missed this. You know, I was looking through finding ones to to put into our Google Docs. I just completely missed. Super Mario Brothers, which is crazy, but it's one of the two games that got me here where I am now. You know, oh, yeah. playing video games.
0: I mean, that's the people our age. That was the game that just—that was the first game you ever played.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Especially for Nintendo at the time. I mean, everybody played Super Super Mario Brothers. That was just. <clears throat> that was the game everybody had and you all loved to play it and never got old you you could still play it months years after you had it and it was still fresh every time you played it it was just that's why do you think there's people that do speed runs cuz they've been playing it every day of their lives since like 1985
1: and if you don't like super mario brothers then what the hell is wrong with you exactly
0: what the hell are you doing listening to this show then yeah in 1986, uh, September 12th, Hudson Soft
1: releases Adventure Island. Did you ever play Adventure Island? I did not. I do remember this game, but I never, ever played it. I had this
0: game. It's one of the games that <clears throat> I had that's been lost along the way. Uh, I looked for another copy of it, and actually found it at um, what's the name? Oh, Play and Talk a few weeks ago. And they wanted a little bit more for it than I was willing to pay, even though it was a pretty much a mint copy. Um, But there was no, you know, there was no box. It wasn't complete in box, it was just a cart. But they wanted a little bit more than I wanted to pay for it. So it's one of the games that's on my list that uh, I want to pick up if I can find it for cheap somewhere. It's a, I mean, it's, it's your basic Nintendo side scroller, but it's kind of like, Mega Man. It's just one of those games that it may not have been as big as Super Mario Brothers or Mega Man, but everybody that played Adventure Island loved it. It was one of those games that, you know, serious collectors, well, not just collectors, but people that love the Nintendo. This is one of those games that they love that they, you know, they brings back such nostalgia for that time.
1: Yeah, and like I said, I never played it, but I do remember seeing like the cover art for it and some some pictures from it, but I just never played it.
0: Yeah, it's definitely got some iconic cover art to it. As soon as you see it, you know. I mean, it doesn't even have to say Adventure Island on it. As soon as you see that cover, you're like, oh, Adventure Island.
1: Yep. Let's see. In uh, September 23rd, 1993, Sonic CD was released in Japan, which featured the debut of iconic Sonic characters Amy Rose and Metal Sonic.
0: This was after my time playing Sonic. I don't remember Amy Rose.
1: She's a female hedgehog who is, uh, by by modern standard, she's pretty much a stalker. <laughs> well, she, she was like Sonic's number one fan, and at the beginning of the game, she gets captured by Metal Sonic, who is a robotic version of Sonic that can fly. Oh, um, this game, it had uh, it was probably the biggest 2D Sonic game that they ever made because it featured you had your normal levels, but you could also travel to the past and to the future. Hmm. And in the future, everything's you know mechanical because Robotnik's taken over, and you have to find uh, instead of the Chaos Emeralds, you have to find the Time Stones. But gameplay wise, it's just like your classic Genesis sonic game i never actually beat sonic cd but i respect its place in sonic history i know a lot of sonic fans who love this game yeah and it does introduce two of the more prevalent characters in the franchise but i will say it's personally not my favorite sonic game
0: yeah this is about the time you know 93 when i started to get out of video gaming because I was in high school I learned started learning how to play drums I was playing in bands at the time I didn't have time for video games so between like 93 to about 98 I had nothing to do with video games whatsoever and then in 98 I bought uh, was it 98 or 99 when the um I bought a Nintendo 64 but it was the um the Pod Racing edition you remember that one
1: I do. I'll
0: look that up. Yeah, there there was a Pod Racing edition of the Nintendo 64, and that's when I got back into video games. Because uh, that's when Resident Evil 2 had was on the Nintendo 64, and I love that game. I played through it about ten, twelve times, probably. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com/people today.
1: Oh, I see it. That looks cool. Yeah, is it the one that looks like a tie interceptor? Um,
0: actually, no. It, I mean, it was just a regular Nintendo sixty-four, but it was boxed. And, you know, it was the the Pod Racer Star Wars edition, and it came with oh, Star Wars okay. Pod Racer.
1: This does look really cool. Someone basically built a Nintendo 64. Like they put it inside of Darth Vader's TIE Fighter. <laughs> That's cool. It looks awesome. I want that. Oh, it looks so cool. Oh, I do too.
0: <laughs> That's fantastic. I wonder
1: what that guy will take for it. Oh, I'm, I'm probably more um, than I can pay for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, same here. Um, In 1996, on September 9th, Crash Bandicoot was released for PlayStation 1. This this is a franchise I would love to see return. I loved the Crash Bandicoot games. The original trilogy and the Crash Team Racing, which is kind of like a Mario Kart clone. Yeah, But I wouldn't call it a Mario Kart ripoff. Crash Bandicoot was to me like... It was a platformer, but it was different than Mario. It was a little wackier, had a very different setting, and it's it's like I wish platforming would make some type of comeback. Yeah, I did
0: play Crash Bandicoot a couple of times, but I didn't really get into it because I don't know. I was kind of over platformers at that time. Um, I mean, like I said, I you know I didn't really get back into gaming until like 98 99 so by that time i was into more stuff like um you know the resident evil series and things like that so platformers kind of felt kiddish to me especially stuff Mm -hmm. like crash bandicoot but i did i do think it was a new a a good different take on the platform genre because it was way different than than what had come before it
1: And what's cool is, either later this year or next year, the original Crash Bandicoot trilogy is being remastered for the PS4. And I'm very excited to play through those games again, and I hope it leads to like a legitimate Crash Bandicoot 4 being made. I don't know that it will happen, but I would love
0: to see it. Well, I'll definitely have to check it out. I mean, I I feel like it was something that passed me by, and I need to go back and check it out because it was just something that I just missed.
1: Maybe one day I'll have to do... Uh, like, for one week, I'll take a different route from the Super Nintendo, and I'll do a Crash Bandicoot review.
0: Yeah, we can all, we can do pretty much whatever we want on this show. That, it's our show. true.
1: <laughs> it is our show. And then uh, the last segment of this month in video game history, in 1998, on September 10th, Spyro the Dragon was released for PlayStation 1. I know a lot of people who swear by Spyro, who actually like it more than Crash Bandicoot, but I could never get into Spyro. It just wasn't my thing. I know nothing about Spyro the Dragon.
0: I mean, I know what it looks like. Like I could pick out Spyro the Dragon, but as far as gameplay, I don't think I've ever seen anything from it.
1: I tried playing it once, and like I said, it just wasn't my thing. Props to people, you know, if you're a huge Spyro fan, I'm sorry, but it just wasn't my thing. With PlayStation, I was more of a Crash Bandicoot guy. Yeah,
0: I mean, hey, to each his own, you know. That is true. But uh, let's go ahead and move into our review for this week, and you uh, you have the review this week, sir.
1: That is correct.
0: And let's play a little music.
1: What is this game, Derek? This game is called Secret of Mana for the Super Nintendo. Um, probably my number two favorite RPG right behind Earthbound. This is a game that I put so many hours into. It was originally released in Japan. And if I get this name, if I get the pronunciation wrong, I apologize. It was originally released in Japan is Saiken Densetu 2, which translates to Legend of the Sacred Sword. It's a 1993 action role-playing game developed and published by Square, now known as Square Enix, for the Super Nintendo Entertainment System. What this basically is, um, instead of doing a turn-based RPG game, like most games like Final Fantasy and other RPGs, It has real-time battles, meaning you walk around in the field, enemies pop up, and you can directly attack them. The story to this game I thought was very good. It combines uh, medieval with magic and a little bit of what I like to call the human element. There's a lot of love, uh, death, tragedy, Um. And there are a lot of crazy plot points in this game. Basically, what happens is you play as this young kid. His stock name is Randy, but I always <laughs> named him myself, like most kids probably did. Yeah. <laughs> um, he's out at this uh, like fall type area, like the Niagara Falls in a way. Um, he falls and he basically gets like washed away into a river, makes it onto land and he finds this sword that's sticking out of a stone. He pulls it out and that unleashes all types of enemies in the world. Um, Some that are very harmless and some that are a pain in the you know what to fight. (laughs) So throughout this game you learn that there was basically this mystical force called mana and it turned out that it was used for evil. So it was sealed away with the sword. So basically when you pull the sword out, you unleash it. So you have to use it for good to stop this evil empire who wants to resurrect this battleship called the Mana Fortress, which is basically like a smaller scale version of the Death Star. It basically has a lot of firepower and they can use it to control the world. So you basically go to these different points and you have to uh, get stronger and you learn uh, magic spells, uh, magic attacks. You get two friends that accompany you. There's this girl and a little sprite child and they can each learn magic. You yourself as the main character, you can't. You can only use your weapons like your sword. You can get a bow and arrow, a spear, um, fighting gloves, boomerang, all kinds of cool items. And then the sprite child uses elemental attacks. So like, you can learn fire attacks, ice, water, electric. And then the girl learns uh, healing powers and also powers that can enhance your weapons for a short period of time.
0: So do you, does your party work on an AI system or do you have to kind of cycle through each different character to do their different thing?
1: Um, it goes through AI, though what you could do back in the Super Nintendo days is you could get this accessory called the multi-tap because the Super Nintendo only had uh, two controller spots, mm-hmm. but there are three characters. What you can do with the multi-tap is you plug it into one of the controller slots, and it's basically like a power adapter, and then you can play up to four players. Huh. So if you So if you had three people... One could be the boy, one can be the girl, and the other can be the sprite child. Or you can, what you can do is, if it's just one player, is you can go to your menu screen and you can select, say, if you want the sprite to be aggressive with his spells, you can set it to that, or you can set it to be more conservative. Or with the girl, you can say, oh, I want her to do physical attacks more, or I want her to, to constantly be casting healing spells if I'm about to die. See,
0: this sounds like the, the, the early days of games like Dragon Age.
1: Yes, it does. There's actually quite a few um, sequels and spinoffs to this game, though I've never played any of them. This was a game my uncle had it and he was the one who really introduced me to a lot of video games. So he just had it and I was like, "Oh, this game looks kind of cool." And then I played it and you know, he let me borrow it and I remember beating it in like a couple of weeks. It's kind of a long game, but back then that's really all I did was go to school and play video games.
0: Yeah, this game kind of went past my radar at the time. I mean, I, I remember hearing about this game, but I never picked it up and played it. It says that as of February 2004, Secret of Mana had shipped 1.83 million copies worldwide, with 1.5 million of those copies being shipped in Japan and 330,000 abroad.
1: It's just, it's such a good
0: game. So and like still, you said, it's
1: one of those games.
0: Oh, go ahead. So they were still selling this game in 2004. Mhm. Almost it Was ten, cool. Almost 10 years after
1: it was released. I didn't actually know this until I looked up it uh, on Wikipedia. This game was remade for uh smartphones. Really? Like you can go on the App Store if you have um it's available on Android too, but we both have iPhones. Um, It was released for iOS in 2010, and Android in 2014. I haven't played it, i looked it up, I went on the App Store right before we started recording, and the graphics actually look improved. I don't know how the gameplay works with using it on a smartphone. I'm kind of interested in trying it, but I know it's available on the the Wii's Virtual Console. It's not on the Wii U, unfortunately. I hope that when the NX comes out, this would be on their virtual console or whatever they're going to call their virtual console. Mm-hmm. But I highly recommend this game to anybody who loves a good story because, like I said, it deals with you know things... It deals with a lot of very human emotions. Like, all the characters go through some type of loss. Like, the girl, her boyfriend, who's the leader of the military in this world has basically been brainwashed um, the sprite child has lost his entire family and the boy has no idea who his parents are huh. so there's a lot of discovery uh, it, it's it, in the beginning of it has kind of a happy tone to it but as you progress through the game it gets a little darker and you just get this impending feel of doom. <laughs>
0: It says here, uh, in 2014, Edge magazine described Secret of Mana as one of the high points of the 16-bit era. A writer for the magazine noted that 20 years after Secret of Mana's release, its reputation as an SNES action RPG had been surpassed only by that of The Legend of Zelda A Link to the Past.
1: That's very high praise.
0: Uh, It took, let's see... um, in game rankings, list the game as the 13th highest rated SNES game. In 1996, SuperPlay ranked Secret of Mana 8th on its list of the best 100 SNES games of all time. It took 42nd place on Nintendo Power Magazine's 2006 Top 200 Nintendo Games of All Time. And the magazine called it the 86th the best game on a Nintendo system. IGN's top 100 games list ranked the game at number 48 in 2005, number 49 in 2006, uh, and number 79 in 2007. And pretty much everybody's just rating this thing through the roof.
1: It's really good. Like I said, Earthbound is probably my favorite SNES RPG, but this is a very close second. It's just... It has all those cool gaming mechanics. You get to learn all kinds of cool spells. I mean, you get eight different types that you can choose from. It's a pretty long game, so you have the chance to invest a lot of hours into it. If you like longer story-driven games like I do, this is perfect. Yeah. And the replay value is actually really good. Well, so I I give my, this game my
0: absolute highest praise. Well, I'm gonna keep my eye out for this. If I find a copy of this, I'm gonna
1: snatch it up. Oh, absolutely! I haven't seen one in person ever since I've you know been looking for SNES games. This has been one that I have yet to see. I've seen a copy of Earthbound, but I haven't seen Secret of Mana. Yeah, inbox or out.
0: Oh, and at the um the flea market, I saw out of the corner of my eye a copy of Zombies Ate My Neighbors, which is one of the uh, Super Nintendo games oh, I've been looking Oh, really? For. But when I turned and looked at it, it was for the Genesis. I was like, oh, oh <laughs> man.
1: So close. Ah. Oh, so close that sucks. yet so far. But no, on a scale of 1 to 10, I would give this game uh, a solid 9. Wow, that high. Yes. Right. it's it's very good. I would say if I were ranking my top my top ten SNES games of all time, it's probably borderline top five. Like it'd be in the five to six range. Hmm. It's very good. I, I would recommend like watching some gameplay of it just to see if you might like it. Yeah. And the soundtrack is really good i was actually listening to it before i called you
0: yeah it sounded good to me because you know before we do our show i go through and you know i'll pull some clips off of youtube for the the soundtracks of the games and this one had some pretty cool stuff it took me a while to figure out what i actually wanted to use for the the music because they didn't have it um in separate tracks it was all just one track so i sat and listened to it for a while and just kind of went back and to the beginning i was like well this you know this is sounds like it's from the the you know maybe the menu page so that's why i picked what i did
1: no it's it was a good song It, it has that feel it gives you that feeling of the whole game where there's tragedy but ultimate triumph yeah
0: well, it looks like a great game. I mean, if anybody out there, if you see it, pick it up, play it, and uh, let us know what you think about it.
1: I had actually started uh, earlier this year when I started doing my Throwback Thursday Let's Plays, which you can check out every Thursday on Nerd Cave Gaming's YouTube channel. Cheap plug there. <laughs> but um, I, had ju- I had started doing a Let's Play for this, and I just haven't gotten around to finishing it. This is you know one of the multiple ones that I want to do, so... Just stay tuned over the next couple of months, and you might see this on Nerd Cave Gaming.
0: Awesome! I got to figure out how to put my stuff on YouTube because all I've got is the old consoles. I got to figure out how to how to put it through to the internet.
1: I uh, I'll have a couple of suggestions that I'll uh, I'll send you off air because I would love to uh, you know, be on
0: Twitch TV playing my old Nintendo. That would be fun.
1: I'll have to find. uh, I have an adapter that I use for when I record like GameCube and Super Nintendo Let's Plays. Mm -hmm. I'll have to see if I can find the original link to it, and I'll send it to you. If I remember right, it's really cheap. Okay,
0: cool. Because if if I can get that going, not that I have a lot of time to actually play video games lately. Because if you listen to the Pop Culture Palette, got quite a few things going on the next these next few weeks. So hopefully I'll uh, have some time to game. Uh, before next week and I'll actually have a review. I'm not sure what I'm going to be reviewing next week yet, but I will figure that out in the next day or so.
1: Well, uh tell the listeners about your uh, your pretty exciting premiere you have.
0: Yeah, uh Wally and week. I um we wrote a movie. It's actually not a full movie, it's a short film uh with Jeremy London who you might know as TS Quint from Mallrats. Uh we wrote a movie and um it's going to be premiering next week actually. This week, uh, because this show comes out tomorrow, if you're in the New Orleans area, you can come to the New Orleans, uh, the NOLA Horror Film Festival, and you can look that up on Twitter at NOLA HFF. We're the movie that's going to be kicking the whole thing off, so you can get tickets for that. It's going to be at 8 p.m. on Thursday evening, which is, what is the date? I don't even know what the date is. Uh, That's the 22nd. Uh, and then on Saturday, the 24th, we're going to be doing the Hometown Premiere. Uh, the movie's called Monsters Anonymous, by the way. Uh, you can look that up on Facebook at facebook.com helpthemonsters and on Twitter at helpthemonsters. Uh, the Hometown Premiere is going to be Saturday at the Beacon Theater in Waveland, Mississippi, which if you're in the New Orleans area or the Slidell area, it's only, you know, quick little 30-minute jaunt for you to Waveland, or if you're on the Gulf Coast, it's not that far. Uh, it's going to be at the Beacon Theater, and it starts at 6 o'clock. We're going to do the red carpet at 5.15, and then we're going to do a Q&A after, after the movie with the producers and Mr. Jeremy London himself. So if you have time to get out there, please
1: come see us, say hi, watch the movie, and uh, it's going to be a good time. That's so awesome that you guys got to do that like I for one you know I hate that I can't be at the premiere but I just think that's so awesome that you guys were able to do something that I know you guys worked really hard on and to make it a reality it's a pretty inspiring story if I'm being honest
0: sometimes I feel like Forrest Gump (laughs) the weird (laughs) things that happen in my life I'm just like how did this happen just one of those things where you know if you keep working at something and you keep moving forward, doesn't matter what it is in this life, you can achieve it, and things will happen. You just got to be open to recognizing your, um, you know, just looking for opportunities and recognizing your opportunities when they present themselves. It's the only way, you know, nobody gets lucky in this lifetime. There's no such thing as luck, to quote Star Wars. But you make your own destiny in this world. And I never would have thought a million years that I would have made a movie with, you know, T.S. Quint, you know, Jeremy London from Mallrats. And then Pink, his brother, Jason London, is the assistant director on it, who was Pink and Dazed and Confused. And not only that, we have Brian O'Halloran. Played uh, Dracula in the movie, and he was Dante and Clerks and Mallrats and Dogma and Clerks too, ton of movies. I mean, if you'd have told me twenty years ago I'd be making a movie with these guys, I'd have told you we were crazy. But you just keep working at things in this life, and things happen. They just you never know what's going to happen in this life. But you have to be willing to go for it.
1: I couldn't have said it better myself.
0: Exactly. And on that note, let's go ahead and call it an evening. What do you say? Let's do it. If you would, oops, that's the wrong one. (laughs) It's been, (laughs) it's been sorry. Sorry, people. It's been two weeks. Let's, uh, I'll, I'll hit the wrong, right one this time. Here we go. If you want to get a hold of us, you can get a hold of us at NerdCaveRetro at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter at NerdCaveRetro, at JFunktastic, at Derek underscore Diamond. You can also find us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash NerdCaveRetro. So let's go ahead and get out of here. Tell them what to do, Derek.
1: May the way of the hero lead to the Triforce.